Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursa on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is Precursa, the startup journey. And a startup journey it is. Today, I am joined by Deb Cromick, who is founder of Nexus Alchemy, serial entrepreneur and business architect. Deb has an innate ability to skillfully assemble the right people, the most effective resources, and the latest technology to facilitate projects from inception to completion. Over the past 25 years, she's innovated in the nonprofit sector, healthcare consulting, and mental wellness and online gaming. She's a light in the darkness and a gift to anyone with the pleasure of knowing her. Please welcome Deb Cromick. Why, thank you, Cynthia. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And I I consider you among the people that I know and my passions for connecting great people, you high among the people that I'm honored to work with. Love your, mm. what I call your Athena spirit. You have yes. such a brilliant way of thinking creatively in a, in a primarily male-dominated way. And but with women and men, sort of with this equanimity and grace, that's just really it's an honor to be here. Well, thank you so much, Deb. That's so sweet. Oh my gosh, it is You're my so favorite true. guest so far. <laughs> <laughs> so, why don't you start by telling us a little about yourself and how you became an entrepreneur? Well, I was thinking about the answer to the how did I become an entrepreneur question, and I was reminded of a, a joke I heard a long time ago about, uh, which actually has a lot more relevance as I age, but about <laughs> two little old ladies driving down the street, Edith and Ethel, and they're driving down the street, and Edith is driving, and they go through the first red light, and she just wings right through it, <laughs> and Ethel thinks, oh my, what what happened, what happened, and she they stay on the road. The next red light comes. She goes right through it. And Ethel thinks, oh, maybe I should say something. I mean, that's the second red light. She read, this doesn't feel safe. Runs right through the third red light. And she says, Ethel, Ethel, you ran that red light. And she says, oh, shit, am I driving? <laughs> and I feel very much that way about being an entrepreneur. I, oh, my gosh. It wasn't planned. I didn't expect it. And one day it was like, all of a sudden, I realized, I'm actually doing this. I'm like creating things on my own. Started out just, you know, I worked in a, you know, traditional job, went to college, got a job, worked in a job for a long time, moved up through the ranks, started an entry level, moved up through director positions, was working as um, director of business development and really ended up in a company that had a lot of constraints because it was government funded. So everything mm. was a conflict of interest, yeah. which as a taxpayer, I understand you want people to honor the use of the taxpayer dollars, but it made business development difficult. And I had all these ideas and all these great thoughts about how to connect different people to do different things. And one day I just decided, I think I'm going to go do my own business. Yeah. I had literally no plan. Yeah. I had like $5,000 in the bank, two young kids not a single client, didn't, didn't have any idea exactly what I was going to do. And, uh, and I left the company. We, you know, they laid me off because it was really the best thing and started this company. And I started E4 Enterprise, which was my first company. 
and really had literally no idea what I was doing. Made two phone calls to people that I had worked with before who both hired me to do some work and started that journey really single, solo, completely on my own. A lot of what I've learned since then is about the power of connection and relationships Mm. as you're building businesses and the value of even if you're going to do it alone, doing it alone with other really smart, amazing people. Yeah, I love that. And tell us a little bit about what you're working on now. So I'm working on two things at once, really, now, which is kind of the story of my life. <laughs> I know uh, nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> right, except you do m- even more than two. I know. Uh, Nexus Alchemy, really, we design, build, and really rescue projects. So this is built on a long-standing Uh, project management infrastructure that we created to really create efficiency around doing projects. The more the more you have similarities in how you do things, the faster you can go. When you're inventing mm. the processes for managing a project while you're also trying to do the substantive work, it can really slow you down. So we learned early on with E4 to really create great systems, do, do the things that need to be done over and over again in a way that allows you to remove your thinking power from that Mm, and focus on the five variables that really make the most sense to do. So Nexus Alchemy helps other people do that. We design strategic projects. We build frameworks for people to really build and run a project. And whether it's a meeting or it's a long, large-scale strategic project, we can build infrastructure that helps people do the parts of the work that they're really uniquely qualified to do. I love that. Yeah. That's so awesome. that's Nexus Alchemy, and it's um, it's great. We also spend a lot of time helping people think about how to what they're uniquely capable of doing. Um, there's this construct that we have around um, uh, uh, about this whole dazzle piece, yeah. where we are uh, really when people are at their best. So a dazzle is a herd of zebras, which I had no idea. Oh my of gosh, zebras. I love that. <laughs> it's called a dazzle <laughs> because when they run, it's dazzling, yeah. right? Yeah, when they run. yeah. And what really Nexus does and what what I've done over time is really help people understand when they are in their very best place, when Mm. they're doing the thing that they are here to do, and they combine forces with other people, you get that kind of that sense of dazzle. So many people are now trying to search for, you know, we can do anything. What do we really want to do? So helping people narrow down to the pieces of the work that would they wake up and go to bed just absolutely loving what they're doing, no matter how hard they're working, that it really feeds their soul. So we spend time with individuals doing that. So as as the step parent of a 20-year-old college kid who is like floundering in the darkness, you know, and, and not knowing what to say, how, like, and I'm sure it's not just 20 year olds who are in college. I I know that there are people who listen to this show who have thought about being an entrepreneur, that it sounds like a really great idea. How do you figure that out? Like, how, is is there, is there some kind of like, what are you looking for? What's the construct or how do you even know, how do you know what the thing is that really makes you happy if you're at work or somewhere? Like, how do you figure that out? Yeah. So, you know, I, a lot of my thinking around that was informed by Gay Hendrick's work in a book um, called The Big Leap. And Mm. he talks a lot about the four zones. So there's the zone of incompetence, which is I'm bad at it. I know I'm bad at it. You know, I'm bad at it. We (laughs) agree I shouldn't do that. The zone of competence, which is I'm good at it, but so are 100 million other people. And I don't really have any particular passion for doing this. Then the tricky part is the zone of excellence in the zone mm. of genius. Mm. So the zone of excellence is is often tricky because it's a space where we're good at what we do, 
Other people know we're good at what we do. Other people want us to continue doing what we're doing. <laughs> and we are generally paid for doing it and often paid very well. Yeah. But it isn't the thing that you would do if you didn't have to work. It's not yeah. the thing. So this, your zone of genius is this unique um, combination of factors that like light you up, that give you energy. It's kind of, I, I compare this to the introvert extrovert deal. Mm, so yeah. introverts, you know, the difference isn't how social we are necessarily. Right, it's whether right. being social gives us energy or takes energy from us. If you're yes. an extrovert, it gives you energy. If you're an introvert, it takes energy. But we yes. can look the same on the outside. So zone of zone of genius is very much like that. Okay. You can effort through almost anything right. and be good at it if you take enough classes and you learn the right things. But your zone of genius is this combination of things where you sort of feel pulled forward, where you are mm -hmm. literally want to do this even if you aren't being being paid. And even if you take somebody who, like my kids are similar age to your stepchild, um, it, you know, I, I tell them really to look at what, what brings them energy. So my, um, my son was into gaming for a long time, yeah. which is pretty typical of boys of, yep. of his age. And it, the question was, what about gaming do you really love? What about it do you love? Yeah. And his, his was all around the connection with other people and his oh. ability to show other people how to do things. He okay. ended up parlaying that into a recognition that he really wanted to teach. Oh. He really loves teaching. And so he went back to college and started working on getting his teaching degree. He has since decided that part of what he loves about teaching is storytelling. Oh, I love that. And when he streamed live and played games live, he loved to tell stories. And he realized that's part of, so he wants to be a history teacher, and making history accessible through telling a story that's interesting instead of these like facts. And that turns out to I be the thing that lights him I just got when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. I love that. Um, I want to go back to something that you said, you know, when we when we first started talking about the difference between solopreneur and building a community of people around you. And, you know, I, I kind of would be interested in hearing what is your take on going solo versus partnering up versus something in between? I mean, I, I hear this all the time, you know, it's really hard in the beginning to get anyone to be sort of a co-founder with you, um, especially when all you have is an idea and a dream and a prayer. Um, but having co-founders certainly does make the journey easier, but it can have its own challenges. So what is your view on sort of that whole thing? Well, I've configured my businesses a number of different ways. So I, I have opinions about those. I would say... <laughs> um, it feels really good to be taking that level of risk with other people. Mm. So the idea of having somebody in it with you, like on a piece of paper saying, I'm in it with you, is yeah. very tempting. Yeah. The intricacies of a business partnership are not unlike a marriage. You mm. are really tying yourself to somebody in a very yeah. intense and intimate way. I mean, you're, you're thinking together, you're risking together, you're creating together, you're trying to reconcile differences of opinions. And, and if you know that the person that you're working with, if you're very clear about how each of you contribute and the unique attributes that each of you are bringing, and you've worked together before, I yeah. think being partners can really work well. Okay. Um, 
I also think if you're not sure, there's a great opportunity to try it in a more informal way to be able to test it out versus investing all the time in the legal, you know, minutia to try and sort through and figure out all the operating agreements and just see if there's this like really mutual benefit. I've ended up in many cases really appreciating the uh, sort of the model that you guys have, where you where you have a community of people who are really smart, who know things that you don't know, that mm. you are refining your ability to know yourself and what you really do, and you're complementing with by asking good questions of other people, and you can take their input and learn from them without any obligation or need to actually officially make a decision to go one way or the other. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So what would you say is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur? Well, I guess I would say know thyself. Um, Mm. The ability to understand your own entrepreneurship is not for everybody. It's, you know, it's, it involves a certain level of risk taking and risk tolerance and a passion for the unknown and for uncertainty and for needing to pivot and reconfigure and thinking that you know something that it turns out you find out you don't really know. <laughs> and, you know, that that personality, those attributes, I think we all have some of those, but the degree mm. to which those are predominant in our worlds, I think, really help direct and guide whether this is good for us. When we know ourselves and we're pretty accurate about our ability to take risks and also our knowledge base, Mm. uh, one of the greatest assets and gifts I have is that I'm a fairly high EQ person who loves to operate in a high IQ world. I love to surround myself with smart people. I take incredible value in asking the right people the right questions, and that has enabled me to learn more, grow faster, find resources. When I think I know, when I think I'm actually an expert, (laughs) it slows me down because I can Uh, often be in my own way. Okay. Um, So that ability for me to recognize, am I in my own way? Do I think I know something I may not really know? Am I resisting asking questions of other people or or thinking about this differently because I think I know better? And really having that um, ability to articulate those questions that we ask ourselves, I think is incredibly important. That's so interesting because, you know, I I agree, not everyone would make a great entrepreneur, right? I mean, it it is a very specific kind of skill set. But figuring out whether or not you would is, and, and the journey itself is sometimes like, it's a journey, right? I mean, it's, it's this, it's this thing that you decide to engage in or, or, you know, I think you and I both had the experience of it decided to engage us, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, and then, and then you're discovering yourself and you're figuring it all out as you go. And it's funny because even the serial entrepreneurs I talk to will tell you every journey is different. Like every time they start something new, it, it's different and they sometimes they think about doing the same things that they did the first time and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they totally forgot things that worked and they, they never do those the second time. So it's just, it's interesting to me how different the journey can be even for the same person when you do it again, right? Mm-hmm. And I wonder, has that been your experience as well? 
Absolutely. I mean, I think I've done done four, where you would really build from scratch in some way four different times, and I've done it differently every time. And yeah. exactly what you said is true. <laughs> Sometimes you re-remember something that yeah. you thought, oh, like I knew that. So, uh, oh, that's I right. That. I learned that lesson right. last time. <laughs> right. Why? Yes, but I've had to learn it twice now. Um, my, the other business that I'm working right now is is Yendi, and that th- that business is really around helping uh, physicians and care practices, systems, hospitals maximize Medicare reimbursement. Oh, wow. So Medicare wants to pay physicians on a value-based payment system to do well, to provide really good care for their patients. There's many things that need to happen to do that and the ability to know what those things are and then create, have systems, processes, and resources to be able to satisfy that. It's part of the reason healthcare is so complex. There's just many dimensions. So we're working on a solution that actually enables practitioners, hospital systems, practices to do that better. What I've learned this time around is, and this is um, a very a version of starting a company that I haven't done before, where the solution is actually in the market. We're our oh. job at Yandy is to configure the solution in a way that we can get it to the right people in the right way in the right time, and to make it as easy as possible for them to partake in this and really to take the advantage of that. It includes a lot about qualifying and disqualifying. It includes oh. really doing a lot of um, intelligence and intel research in advance to Uh really understand who is your target market. And I know that I've learned that lesson through (laughs) several of the other um, journeys that I've been on about how important is you can have the greatest solution. And if you're talking to somebody who doesn't need it, it's, it's, you can't make this work for somebody where it doesn't work. So I'm relearning and re-remembering the importance of really understanding your target market and making sure you're talking to the right people and providing relief to people where the solution really is a relief. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. Yeah, I love that. It, it's one of the things that we say around here is, you know, don't don't be a solution chasing a problem, right? Yeah. And and when you do know that there's a problem, who has it? Who are the people? You know, having that ideal customer or a series of ideal customers where when you're talking to someone, you know, in, in a few sentences, you know exactly which ideal customer persona they fall into. Yep. And that's a huge part of the basis of the work that we do with entrepreneurs at Precursa. And you're right, it's it's foundational, right? Because until you know who those people are, you can spend a lot of time talking to a lot of the wrong people and feeling like those might be indicators that you're on a wrong path when really it's just, no, you're talking to the wrong people. you got to yep. get with different people. Yep. Um, so I, I love that message. I, I love that. So what do you think is the most important personality trait or characteristic or that something that someone needs to have in order to be a successful entrepreneur? Well, you know, I, I talked about that risk tolerance. I mean, you really have to love risk. You have to trade <laughs> off that I'm going to get a known amount of money in my account every other week for, uh, you know, 
an infinite period of time for I have no idea how I'm going to pay my bills or where I'm going to, how I'm going to make this work or how I'm going to generate this. But I have such faith and um, intrigue in doing this that I'll figure it out. That drive to like figure it out. And even I think the ability, you know, entrepreneurs often start out with a lot, without a lot of money and with really, and there's some way in which that is such a gift. Yeah. It really is a gift. It makes you think faster, more creatively. You can't afford to be having wrong conversations with people. That's you need right. help from other people. It it inspires you in a way that if you had unlimited resources, wouldn't be the same. So yeah. that ability to be discom- uncomfortable and use that discomfort to fuel the questions you ask, the people that you talk to, the speed of innovation and your ability to listen and think differently. Sometimes the market thinks, you think the market needs something and it turns out what they want to pay you for is something completely different. Paying attention (laughs) to that, being willing to say, great, you want to pay me for that? Okay, well, that wasn't what I was thinking I would be doing, but that enables me to figure out a revenue path that I can, that can use to help fuel the continuous build of this. So yeah, I I guess it's really about that risk and love for uncertainty. Yeah, I love that. And we, we've we even talked about that uh, with Precursa. You know, there was a time last February when we thought we had some financing, like it was good to go. And, and you know, so we had our performa and, you know, we had our plan of how we we're going to spend that money. And then, you know, that money just didn't come through. There, there was a whole series of circumstances and just never came through. And we ended up executing a portion of our, of our you know, list building and marketing plan but we had to do it on such a smaller budget that we realized very quickly, oh, this doesn't actually work. Like we can't get users like this. This is not going this this is costing us thousands of dollars per per user and that's not sustainable, right? We got to learn that lesson on like fifteen thousand dollars instead of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? And it that money would have been spent so quickly to learn that message where when you have to, like to your point, when you have to get creative, when you have to be a little bit scrappy, you learn lessons a lot cheaper than you think it will take to learn them. And so I, I just scrappy I love is that. good. It scrappy really is. is good. Scrappy, scrappy is really so good. good. Yeah, <laughs> lived experience, like really having done it and needing to to figure it out when there's no right answer is. It's just it really shifts the paradigm, the way that we think about things. And you end up having to think about you when, when things inevitably crash and they do, and they yeah. don't work out that you want, you know, asking that question, how does this situation or what we just learned actually create more opportunity or different opportunity for us? It's yeah. so easy to get attached to what you think it's supposed to be. Yes. One of the things I tell people is if you don't have to write out like a 80 bajillion page business plan, don't. Don't, yeah. Because <laughs> the more time you spend building out what you think it is, the, less the more time you're wedded, to yeah, and the yeah. more wedded you get to what you think it is, and the oh. harder it is for you to pivot because then, you know, you have to change the business plan. Like you've already thought about it in a particular right. way. So in some ways, I think building traditional business plans that's after you know what the solution is right. and you're writing about the known solution that people are paying you for that you right. have out in the market. It's actually a much better time to do it than when you're formulating Starting the plan. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, which is great. I mean, the the roadmap that we have for entrepreneurs, we you know we we start with the blue sky, which is like get out all your really great ideas because until you get that out and on paper, you can't set it aside and then go listen to people, right? And then we yeah. teach you how to build really great interviews that will dig into different areas in an unbiased way, so that you can actually hear what people are saying to you, right? Um, and and not until the end of the whole process. Are we talking about building a pro forma, putting together a pitch deck? Because you don't know anything in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. you think you know, mm-hmm. and we want to we want to sort of like start with those assumptions. But we really do treat it like a very scientific process where you have hypotheses, and we need to set we need to know what those are, and then we need to set them aside and remove all the bias and see see what the what the data actually tell us. So I love that. I love that. I wanna I wanna ask you specifically. We've had this conversation with other people in the past and, you know, being three female founders in a in a very leading edge technology world, um, you know, building something that's backed by machine learning and, you know, a lot of data science. And, you know, these are, as you mentioned in, you know, when we first start talking, these are very male dominated worlds. Right. And we're three female founders. And I never before really understood or really had the experience of the differences for women and men in an industry or in an experience or in a journey like this, right? Because I've just never done anything believing that it was any different for me. And Precursor has been different. And and part of the reason why it's been different is because we have been trying to raise money. Um, and so I've had to have conversations where I'm asking for money and realizing I have yet to have a pitch conversation with a woman um, and also realizing that the questions I get asked are very different than the questions that my male counterparts in the same industry get asked. And the only reason I know that is because I'm at the pitch sessions, you know, in, in group group together and listening to each other's pitches and hearing the questions and, you know, all, all the things. And I just I, I'm like. Is this all in our heads? Are we making this bigger than it is? Or is there something and is it possible to overcome it? And what does that look like? I mean, I just, not that you have all the answers, but maybe you have some of them or maybe you just have some insights that might be helpful for those of us who are like, feel like we're struggling this uphill battle. Is it really or or is there something else? I think it's both. I think it is really an aspect of how we work. I think we have valued a very male-dominated thinking way of doing business for a long time, very matter Mm. of fact. I think we are evolving to this recognition that the masculine and the feminine were intentionally created for a a particular reason. And our strength and thinking together is magnified in orders of magnitude that I think are almost impossible to get if you are only if you're in one at one dimension or the other. Mm-hmm. Learning how to embrace that, I think, is an interesting and intriguing po- challenge. And you are, when you're talking about getting funding, you are now in that lane of traditionally very male-dominated. Yes. And morphing that into the different kinds of conversations, I think, is much, that's, that's a hard place to change those conversations. For me, I embrace, I love working with men. I love how men think. I think yeah. like a man in certain pl- in ways, but I think it's very much like a woman in others, right? Me we too. very much yep. share that. Yep. I think the ability to um, recognize and appreciate 
that kind of thinking where it exists and honor it while also bringing different dimensions of what I would consider the more feminine. So the way we use language, the way we talk, the way we use emotional words in sort of a, Mm. you know, traditional business setting. Yeah. When I think about, again, not having to, you know, do this in the um, pitching for money arena, but just in the work that I do, much of the reason that people hire me is because of the aspects that I bring that have more to do with connection, honoring humans, seeing people as they are. I work in environments with people who are incredibly well-educated. They are very well-trained. They're experts like nationally, internationally in their industry. And yet they're still humans. They want to be seen. They want to be appreciated. They want to be recognized. They want to know that what they're contributing matters to somebody, that all the work they did to learn and to be smart is actually contributing in some way to the conversation. So my conversations in in those sort of more male-dominated are are very intentionally around how do I hear what they need? Like, how do I listen for their need to be recognized? What are they really wanting to contribute? And in that space where I can meet them and recognize, okay, they went to school for a long time. They've funded X number of companies very successfully. They've done, you know, acknowledging that and meeting them at the point where you recognize and acknowledge that softens in some way, whatever conversations come next, then you're not arguing to make them prove that, you know, the questions that they're asking are, are legit. So again, I'm doing it in a much easier, much easier (laughs) pathways than you are, but perhaps it works there too. Well, it's interesting because, you know, for our audience, Deb is the person who introduced me. You know, I always had this sort of what she just talked about, this feel that like I, I straddle both worlds, you know, the masculine, the feminine. And I I can relate to people who are very, you know, very masculine. And that's sort of the way we relate to that is like hard and and firm and and um ungive unwavering like like you know that that just sort of like pushing up against a wall right like the very I, I can I can live in that world I have for over 25 years now being in technology but I also I I am a woman but I I live in the world of the feminine as well like I see how e- even with the, the most unfailing wall if you are the give that wall will start to give too. like there there's like a dance that starts to happen and that's what you're talking about and and you know you're the one who introduced me to the concept of Athena who is this goddess who sort of straddles both of those things and she has a sword and she has a shield and she's very capable in battle in fact undefeated in battle but the more prominent shoulder in most of her pictures is the shoulder with the owl on it, which is I'm going to try every other strategy I have before I go to war mm-hmm. because she understands that war has a cost and that wisdom can overcome a lot of things and can bridge a lot of gaps. And I just love that visual. And it was the first time that anything ever resonated for me. Like, that's who I want to be in the world. Like, I can do battle, but I'm not going to go there first because I believe that honoring people and like you said, creating that connection or understanding what people want, that is a much more powerful place to stand and you only take out your, you know, your sword and your shield when you've got nothing left and you just need to get, you just need to get through whatever it is you need to get through, right? So I, I just, 
I, I first of all, thank you because you were the introduction for me to her My pleasure. in that way. And it's such like a it's such an empowering place. And I have this gorgeous uh, picture and I'll actually I'll probably take a picture of it and put it in the show notes um, of of an Athena that Deb gave to me. Uh, that hangs on the wall, uh, you know, right in my line of my my field of vision in my office. And so I, I, you know, it's interesting because when you were saying that, what I kept hearing was I have gone into every investment conversation, every pitch, thinking about how to position what I'm doing and how to, you know, and, and continuing to refine that. I've never, I've never stopped to wonder what are your goals as an investor and does this help you get there or not? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, do you know other investors who this project would help their goals? Mm-hmm. Right? That's a totally different way to come at it. And, you know, one of one of my biggest frustrations, so we've talked a little bit about um, about David, who's my, my partner. Um, he's building this building and he's got a lot of really powerful, very wealthy men who are trying to, I'm going to put in quotes, help him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because in all the ways that, you know, wealthy, older, powerful men help, um, sometimes it really doesn't. Um, and, and I just noticed there's so much like ego in the game and so much like I'm going to, push on you here and I'm because I'm trying to get this out of you over here and I'm going to I'm going to make you negotiate with me rather than just saying what what really needs to happen in order for the whole project to work and I just I don't know I wonder you know you you are you for me are like this really balanced human who has this way of seeing all the different aspects and all the different facets of something what I would ask is is it possible to be in that sort of realm, because let's face it, when you're when you're getting investment capital, it's wealthy. It's wealthy dudes right now. That's mm-hmm. that's who's at the top primarily. Is it possible to negotiate all of the ego and all of the it's my money and you need my money more than I need your thing? And what like, is it possible to negotiate all of that and not drive yourself completely nuts? Well, I think I can speak to that conceptually, which is different <laughs> than being in the room with you and trying to make that happen. But You know, at the end of the day, one of my philosophies is love is actually a business strategy. Mm. The human desire to be loved, whatever that means, to to be appreciated, to be recognized, to be seen, to be honored and valued. And sometimes the more successful people are, the further away they get from actual people appreciating them as a person. People want their money. They want something from them. They want something and they start to work in these super transactional ways And it's true, people do want something from them and they do want their money and they're willing to try to figure out how to configure the conversation versus coming in as two human beings and really looking at the dynamics of what is the relationship and what does this person really need, not just for their investment portfolio, but what motivates them? Like what are their, um, because they didn't get successful Well, most of them. I mean, some of them perhaps inherited their wealth, but most of them worked for their wealth. They created something. They they built this. It means something. It came through and from them. And that ability to know their story and how they came to be in this place and to really recognize Mm. that as part of the human, I think is, I think it changes most conversations. Uh, We have been in this place where, in fact, we just had a meeting a couple days ago where we were like, 
we may need to take a step back and decide, is fundraising really the right thing for us? Is is the uphill slog of this an indicator that it's not part of our journey and we need to let that, let that go and there's like something else? Or is it like what you were just saying was like, oh, that would be a totally different conversation with an investor, right? I, I don't know. I mean, do you, do you have any advice? <laughs> You know, I guess I would say go non-traditional. I mean, see if there's a way to have these conversations that are more conversations where you're really Mm. perhaps not doing the traditional pitch, which I just have to say you are phenomenal at. I mean, really, really Mm. one of the best people I've ever seen. You can do a pitch in 10 seconds, in 30 seconds. You can do the three-minute version. (laughs) I mean, it's really, it's a beautiful, beautiful skill. So I feel wildly confident without having seen your pitch that it's not about the content of the pitch. So mm. if it's about the dynamics of the relationship, are there different ways? And part yeah. of this is the leading edge you have been on since you started this journey. I mean, yeah. and that is how do you change the conversation with investors? How do you create a conversation where the investor can can recognize and feel engaged in, in a different way? And you would be inventing it. So I don't know exactly what it looks mm. like, but it might be fun for your team of really smart, brilliant people to think about, okay, if we could invent this conversation in a way that would help them, help us recognize them and pick the right investors. This is the same qualification yeah. process. If you're talking to people, you want to be talking to the right people. How do yeah. we learn enough about them to know not just what they're interested in, in terms of their portfolio, but what can we learn about them as a human? What's important to them? And can we satisfy some component of that if we were to work together? And what might that look like? Mm, if anybody a, can do it, I think it's you. <laughs> well, and it, it's interesting because it's a totally different place in a power dynamic, right? In mm-hmm. in the one, it's like, I'm coming to you. I have this thing. I need money in order to make it successful. You have the money. So really, you have all the power. Mm-hmm. Now, I always try and coach my entrepreneurs that you have something too, but your thing is less certain than their money, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there's that power dynamic. But what you just described, and I, I'm going to have to listen to this episode when it comes out again because I need to hear what you just said again. But what you just described shifts the power dynamic to be a partnership and a creation rather than you have money, I need money, can we negotiate? It, so it goes from transactional to relationship, that's a that's a that feels so much more powerful and I I don't know how to create that yet but after this conversation I'm kind of like that is the difference that really is the thing that makes the difference I can feel it and now you've put me on a path so <laughs> Well, happy to help anytime. <laughs> I'll be along uh, on the path with you and, and cheering you on for sure. Yeah. Um, so if you could give other entrepreneurs one piece of advice, what would that be? I think it would be, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out what one piece of advice. I guess I would go back to the know thyself, really mm. figure out what lights you up and be willing to ask that as an inquiry and a changing mm conversation with yourself because sometimes we think, oh, I think I'm really good at this. I'm really, really good at this. I mean, I learned in my facilitation that I was often hired to facilitate these really, you know, these panels of incredibly smart, really brilliant people. And I thought I was being hired for my facilitation skills. What I was actually being hired for was my ability to connect with the human beings and to help them feel important and heard and understood. There were enough smart people in the room. It wasn't about the process. So understanding yourself in 
response to the feedback that you get and really that deep inquiry about what about this do I love and what about this is creating an impact on the people that I'm serving and working with and changing your mind about what you know about yourself as you go and as you grow. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I'm going to give you a statistic. Okay. And I want you to tell me what you think about it, okay? Okay. All right. 42% of startups ultimately fail because no one wants what they're building. Yeah, this goes back to that conversation about don't get too far along before you decide what people really want in both determining who your market is, like who you are really trying to satisfy, who truly needs that, and then how do you position it in different ways? Uh, How do you have that conversation and being willing to iterate before you get attached to the exact way that it needs to be? It Mm. also may mean you have to learn to cut your losses. I mean, one of the companies that I worked in, uh, you know, we really got to the point where we had to say we don't have the right people, resources, ability. It's a fantastic business model. It really is. It has incredible potential. But we were not in a place where we were able to bridge the gap between that potential and what we would have needed to be successful. And that Mm. ability to also be able to cut your losses and either pivot to something else or or reinvent yourself is so critically important. Not everybody's going to be an entrepreneur. Mm. Um, It's, it really isn't. So you need to know if you're, if you're, if it's really just about the people don't need what you're selling, or if the way that you've configured it isn't right, or the market that you're talking to isn't right, or if you got too far into believing it was X, when it really needed to be X plus Y, and you're just thinking about it so rigidly that you that you can't move past that. I gotcha. That's, that's, yeah. And it can be really hard to let go of that, right? I mean, you've like, you've invested time and probably Mm -hmm. money and like, you are emotionally invested in this thing. And then, you know, you have that realization where you go, oh, man, it's wrong or it's <laughs> not complete or, oh, and you just kind of, you know, how how do you how do you not how do you prevent all the emotional drain and the potential like self-flagellation of that, you know, because that's I not think useful, you, right? Right. I think you yeah. go in knowing it's inevitable. Oh. And, you know, we've talked about this even in naming a company. Don't get, don't, you know, don't name it something that then if it needs to become something else that it could, you know, try to find something that's has some definition and it has some identity, but it isn't so restrictive that if you decide that you really need to pivot that you can't. And that's a lot of that thinking from the naming of the business to the logo, to thinking about the market you're in. If you go in expecting it to change, I think you're better prepared than if you go in thinking, you know, exactly what it is. Interesting. I love that. Yeah, I just I'm thinking about, you know, the the various businesses I've built and the one reason why every single one of them ended up working out in the end because that's that's weird, right? Like I mean mm-hmm. out of, you know, I'm on my I'm building my sixth startup right now and I I had my first two were successful and exited. My third one is actively, you know, a SaaS operating on an 84% profit margin. You know, my consulting company that I run right now has been very successful. And then my two startups that I'm working on, you know, we're, I'm hoping they're going to have the same trajectory, right? But, you know, it's very weird to have been as many times down the road and had as many successes as I've had. And what you're saying about being willing to pivot, be you know, not getting too attached, 
it's it's this fine line you walk, right? Because you have to be the visionary. You have to be the one who's driving that thing forward. So you can't be not attached to it, but you can't be so attached to it that you don't let it morph and change the way that it wants to. Because the reality is, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, this business that you're creating isn't you. It's a whole separate entity from you. Your job is to help it become. And the only way you can do that is by listening to it in its evolution, right? Mm-hmm. And not yourself and your desires of how it will evolve, you know, because the business isn't you. Your startup is not you, right? Yep. I So I, one of my favorite places to sort of when I get stuck and I want to be inspired to think differently about something is that there's a Disney show. It's, I think it's on Disney Plus or maybe it's on Discover Plus. I don't even know. The Undercover Billionaire. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So great. I mean, talk about needing to pivot. You know, <laughs> they have, you know, they give them $100. These people have been wildly successful. They drop them in an unknown market in an unknown place and they have to figure out how to build a, a business that's valued at a million dollars in some 90-day period of time. Oh and my watching gosh. with a hundred bucks. <laughs> with a hundred bucks. With no no you can't use any of your contacts. You can't use your name, your reputation, your network. You have to like build it from scratch. Watching that show when I feel stuck, even though of course they're being followed by a camera crew. So right. clearly people have some idea something's happening something's here. Up, yeah. Uh, so people probably say yes more often than not. And most of them are incredibly well dressed. And right. even though they only have a hundred dollars present as people right. who are of resources, but it's still, it's still not easy. I mean, it is yeah. not easy. And some of the things that they have to do and think about and how they have to think differently about it, it's it's a great example, I think, of needing to um, do, you know, rapid cycle improvement and change and pivot and keep reinventing yourself as you go. How often do they pull that off, building a million-dollar business from nothing in 90 days? So I think there are Four, let's see, there are three case studies. I haven't watched in a while. Three case studies in one episode in, or one season and one in the other. And I think they're about 50-50. Really? Okay, mm-hmm. so that's heartening because, mm-hmm. you know, the statistics, especially in Colorado, is that like less than 1% of female-owned businesses ever hit the million-dollar mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, we had Charles Fred from True Space on on the show a few weeks ago, and he, you know, he works with um, companies that are trying to hit that ten million mid market, you mm-hmm. know, trying to cross that threshold. And less than what did he say? Less than two percent of companies ever actually do that, and it takes them an average of twelve years. So that's you know, a long it, climb. It's a long climb, and it, it, but, but that's the reality is it actually does take longer than you think, mm-hmm. and getting caught up in the how uh, in the fantasy of the overnight success and the Facebook and the the unicorn and like all like getting caught up in the fantasy of those things mm-hmm. is actually a huge preventer from you actually realizing a potential of something oftentimes. Yes. You know, yes. because the fantasy never lives up to the reality, even when you get it. And you're definitely not going to get it if you're so living in the fantasy that you miss all the all the the cues and the and the, you know, that that calling from that entity of of where it wants to go. You're just never going to get there because you're stuck in, you know, your head stuck in the clouds. Right. And one of the things I loved about how they did the undercover billionaire is that they um, two, they're two men and they're two women. 
Okay. And Ooh, I love the this. difference in the way they think is, it is absolutely, as we talked about before, very male-dominated versus very relational, build connections, do things for other people. I mean, the women go about this in a completely different way than the men do. And I think both of the women may have made the valuation. Interesting. Okay, I, I got to watch I, this. Yeah, it's great. I remember if, you telling me about yeah. <laughs> it, and I remember adding it to my queue, and we are so far behind in TV shows, it's ridiculous, yeah. but I got to watch that. It's great when you feel stuck, just because the things they have to do, and okay, we're probably not going to sleep in our trucks, but yeah. <laughs> because we have more than $100, or at least yeah. I hope, but just the <sighs> fact that they could do this, the whole idea of it, that whole idea of making something from nothing and using connections and relationships and thinking differently about what you do. They don't go in with a business idea. They go into Mm. a community they don't know, have never been in, where they know no one, Mm. and they have to figure out how to create a business, how to make money, how to feed themselves, how to find housing. I mean, it's really... It really is fascinating. But for me, it's like my favorite thing when I feel super stuck. And there was a point where I was watching it where I just felt like, I don't know, this is hard. Maybe I should go get a job, you know, (laughs) which lasted about a a nanosecond. But watching that was, you know, kind of the thing that, that, you know, reinvigorated my enthusiasm for how cool it is to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, that I love that. Yeah, we were I was talking with um another another guest a couple weeks ago who I was like he he uh wrapped up his first startup. Um he ended up having to shut it down. There, you know, a lot of factors for that, but ultimately it was a failure, right? Um and actually not one of the 42% where people didn't want what he had, you know, the pandemic had a lot to do with it and but he was saying, you know, for a while, I was like, I have all these skills. I should go get a job. And I started laughing. <laughs> so I was like, you are never going to get a job right. like that. that it's the it's actually the pit. One of the biggest pitfalls of being an entrepreneur is you become ruined for working for other people ever Absolutely. again. You know, right. as anything other than a consultant or, you know, in, in more of the, you know, I'm I'm I, I can help you get over this. But, you know, because there's just something that happens in your world when you become an entrepreneur that that like I said just kind of ruins you for mm-hmm. for the the everyday and and even the risk becomes more palatable than the steady paycheck and knowing mm-hmm. it's just the it's just I don't know I I view I view the full-time job as like the same thing all the time every day mm-hmm. and I never have two days that look the same in what I do. And I think that's And for some people, thank it. goodness, that works. Yeah. Because, you know, we need both of those attributes, which comes yeah. back to the know thyself. Yes. If you really prefer to know and, and to be in that, then please do, because it really actually, yeah. the world needs that. We yeah. really need that. But you know, if you try the entrepreneurial venture and you just can't imagine for longer than a second returning to a world of driving to work and, you know, logging into your computer and doing a timesheet and (laughs) all those things. I mean, we, you know, and then you, then, you know, you know that about yourself, that you are kind of called to invent something, a way of um, being in the world and contributing what you have to contribute. And that's what being an entrepreneur is about. Yeah. So, so we can sum up this episode with know thyself. I love that. (laughs) Absolutely love that. I don't think so, I'm the first one to have ever said it. <laughs> no, you're not. But it but it's a good reminder, right? And yeah. and and your energy is so great about it because we ha- you know, we've had a, a few people on the show who are super woo-woo, right? Like very very um 
ethereal and very much about the visionary piece. We've had a lot of people who are very like executors, like X, Y, Z. It takes this step, this step. This. And you you and I are kindred spirits in that we, we balance both of those things really, really well. And so it's just it's lovely to hear another perspective that sort of sounds like mine. <laughs> I do love it when we agree with each other, right? I know, right? (laughs) So powerful. And Socrates is in on it too. I mean, we can really hardly go wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. So um, what are, do you have any podcasts or books or resources or anything like that that you would recommend for the audience in, you know, as follow-ups to this conversation or to continue this conversation for themselves? Yeah. So I think the Undercover Billionaire for sure is fun to watch. I, um, Gay Hendricks book, The Big Leap. If you if you think you're not in the your zone of genius, it's really a great book. It's a very quick read. I love it. Um, the three books that I give anybody who starts a business, like budding entrepreneurs, uh, one is um, The Art of the Start, Guy oh, Kawasaki. Yes, yes. Great, really, really great. And he talks a lot about this. Like, don't get stuck doing your mission statement. You know, yep. get get a mantra, get a general gist of what you're doing. But here are the things that matter. He's a beautiful filter. I really appreciate it. It was probably the first book I read when I went out on my own. And it's still, you know, dog-eared and flagged. And, I, you know, it's always a good resource. Um, the second one is uh, David Cohen and Brad Feld from Techstars wrote a book, Do More Faster, which yep. is also a great cheat sheet to what yep. you absolutely need to do and what you don't, you know, what you can kind of get away with doing later or what isn't really that important. Yep. And then fininally um, Barbara Corcoran's book, Shark Tales. Oh, is, I haven't heard of this one. This is uh, new. So fun. So fun. Shark so, Tales. Shark Tales. So that. Barbara Corcoran's book is in, I think it's in 10 chapters. Okay. She reads it, so I would highly recommend listening to it the on audiobook. Audible. She actually oh, sings it. to you at one oh, point. Oh, I love it. I love it. So she grew up, I mean, she her story is so amazing. But, you know, she grew up in a house with 24 people. Whoa. And, you know, there were like 11 kids. There was a boys' room and a girls' room. They had almost no money. I mean, really, literally no money. She takes the lessons that she learned as a child. So each chapter is a lesson she learned as a child. And then she applies it to business, how she applied that to business. So one of her lessons is about, you know, if you don't have big boobs, put pigtails in your hair. (laughs) And it was about (laughs) her first job working in the diner in this town that she worked in. And the the waitress who worked there forever that everybody came to see, she was like a, you know, local attraction was Gloria. And she had these you know, this voluptuous body and was like, and all the men wanted to sit in Gloria's section. And if you've ever seen Barbara Corcoran, it's highly likely she never looked like that. So she's just this very thin. So her mom told her, you know, you got to work with what you have. And so, you know, if you don't have big boobs, put pigtails in your hair and play with that charming, youthful, whatever. So she did that. And then she goes and applies that to her real estate in Chicago. Uh, oh, or in New York it. when she was in New York and she was starting like how she created she put pigtails on these apartments like oh she gosh. did certain things to make them stand out from the thousands of other things yeah. so she does this contrast between what she learned as a child and how she applied those to business and she's brilliant it's a wonderful book okay I love that that, that was a new one to me I'm gonna go down I have a couple of audible credits so I'm gonna go download that one when we get done <laughs> Wor- worth it worth it she's very she's very charming and very inspiring <laughs> Well, Miss Deb, I want to say thank you, first of all, so much for taking the time with us today, for sharing your story, for being so incredibly generous. 
um, with with your experience and with your your insight and your knowledge. If our listeners have questions or they'd like to get in touch with you or maybe they even like to work with you and figure out what is their zone of genius and they'd like some some guidance on that path, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Well, LinkedIn is the easiest way and it's a pathway through to all the different businesses that I've done. <laughs> so you can certainly look at look me up there and my, I have the great privilege and the great uh, advantage for SEO optimization that I am the only person with my name in the whole world. Yay! So Deb Cromick on LinkedIn, you can find me and awesome. I would love to connect with any of them. Awesome. And I'll make sure to include the links to all of the resources that Deb mentioned, as well as her LinkedIn profile. And as always, if you want to get in touch with her through us, you can shoot me an email at startup at precursor.com. And I will highly vet you because we like to pass along really great people um, to all of our all of our guests. So thank you again, my dear, so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for your wisdom and, and just for who you are in the world. It truly makes a difference. And in case you ever forget that, you can always call me and I'll let you know. Thank you. It is a joy to be in your company. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. All right, y'all. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode. As always, happy entrepreneuring, and I will see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursor the Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at Precursor.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time.